we went from 1.1% and 2.4 grams of omega-6 linoleic acid in 1865 to 29 grams and 11.8% of the diet as omega-6 linoleic acid in 2008. That's an 11-fold increase in omega-6 LA between 1865 and 2008. That is the recipe for disaster. Hey guys, welcome to the Digest This Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. And today on the show, we have Chris Kenobi, and we are talking all about vegetable and seed oils. And he reveals some shocking facts about these oils and why they are actually worse than sugar and how they are the main contributor to our health. We go over what the worst oils are, which ones to stay away from, as well as what oils, if any, oils are safe to consume and cook with and what the best fat to cook with actually is in his opinion. We also talk about how canola oil and rapeseed oil is slightly different and how canola oil is actually made, which you guys, it's kind of gross, but it's just insane. You guys have to know. Uh, So much is covered in today's episode. And if you've ever wondered about oils, are confused or had any questions about them, this is the episode for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kenobi, for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure. Yes, thanks for having me on, Bethany. It's my pleasure. Awesome. All right, so before we actually dive in, I just like to ask you some rapid-fire questions, and and you can only answer yes or no. Okay. Okay, so yes or no uh, answers only. So is seed oil consumption worse than sugar consumption? Yes. Are seed oils the main cause of chronic diseases? Yes. Are seed oils to blame for obesity? Yes, primarily. Yes. Is consuming seed oils the same as smoking? It's far worse. Wow. So yes. Wow. Uh, Yes, but yes, but worse. Yes, but worse. Wow. Okay. Can you stop the progression of diseases by simply eliminating seed oils? Yes, sometimes. Okay. I've got to qualify some of these. Sure, sure. Uh, Two more. Is olive oil a vegetable oil? Yes. Is coconut oil technically a vegetable oil? Yes. We are already into 2024. I cannot believe it. And I'm not going to push any New Year's resolutions. However, cleaning up your personal care products is something I'm seeing a lot of people do for the new year. And I can stand behind that. So if you brush your teeth daily, and I really hope that's you, because if not, well, that's kind of gross. And may I suggest changing up your personal hygiene routine as the first priority of the new year. (laughs) But like most of us, we not only brush our teeth daily, but at least twice a day. And that's a lot of exposure to chemicals that could accumulate and take a toll on your health. Fluoride is the most common ingredient used in today's toothpaste, and it can truly affect our health. And according to the International Association of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, fluoride can contribute 
to acne and other skin conditions, thyroid dysfunction, TMJ, high blood pressure, and even neurological problems. And acute high-level exposure to fluoride can lead to abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and even muscle spasms. Thankfully, there's a new ingredient proven to be just as effective as fluoride and completely non-toxic. It's called hydroxyapatite, and it's the active ingredient used in bite toothpaste, non-toxic bits. Unlike fluoride, hydroxyapatite works by remineralizing enamel from within, reaching the innermost part of a dental cavity, and binds to plaque and harmful bacteria in our mouth. Bite has been in my household for about two years now, and both my husband and I love using their fluoride-free tablets for our oral health. I even love their mouthwash tablets that are so convenient to travel with or just keep in your purse for a quick mouth refresher. For the mouthwash, you just bite down on a tablet with a bit of water, then swish it around in your mouth. You can even do this in your car. And for the toothpaste bits, I typically take two at a time and chew them up in my mouth, wet my toothbrush, and then start brushing. Bite also has a natural teeth whitening kit. So if you've been looking for a natural toothpaste without the paste, try Bite toothpaste tablets, which come in glass jars that look super chic on your vanity and is doing good by not only providing a healthier alternative to toothpaste, but also for the planet with their no waste refillable system. Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Just go to trybite.com slash digest or use code digest at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash digest. Again, just go to trybite.com slash digest to get 20% off. Research shows the average cleaning product contains chemicals that are affecting our lungs. The researchers also added that accelerated lung function declines in those who clean regularly with bleach-based products, disinfectants, and degreasers containing 2-butoxyethanol, commonly referred to as EGBE. This is all just another reason why I use Branch Basics for my cleaning needs. You just mix their non-toxic concentrate with water in a glass spray bottle and you're good to go and clean your entire home. Everything from your kitchen to your bathroom to your living room and even your kids' toys. It's safe around your kids and pets and it actually works. It's 100% biodegradable, fragrance-free, and contains no harmful substances. Their concentration is derived from plants and minerals, and the best part is that you only have to buy one product. If you want to clean up your home and your health by using Branch Basics, they're offering my listeners 15% off. Just use code LILSIPPER at checkout to receive a discount. I recommend starting with their starter kit, which includes everything you'll need with simple instructions. Again, if you go to branchbasics.com and enter code LITTLESIPPER at checkout, that's L-I-L-S-I-P-P-E-R at checkout, you'll receive a discount. 
Okay, so we've got we've we've piqued uh, the interest of our listeners here with these yes or no um, answers. I love it. So now we're going to dive in to what we just talked about a little bit deeper here. So let's just go right into it. Why are seed oils bad? And, and seeds good, right? Because a lot of people are confused about, okay, seed oils, but I eat like pumpkin seeds. Those are supposed to be good. Or I eat like sunflower seeds, but why is the oil bad? So can you explain why that is? Yes, I can. Um, so first of all, Bethany, the there's a, there's a big difference between oils that are extracted from a plant um and the oils that are in that plant just like there's a huge difference between for example oils extracted from a fish and the oils that are in that fish the 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 meat of the fish so the reason that vegetable oils are so incredibly dangerous is primarily because of the fact that we accumulate the the fatty acids that are in those oils in our body. So so let me explain. So for example, in up through the year 1865, globally there were virtually no vegetable oils of any kind. Now everybody could argue Yes, there were, you know, tiny amounts of sesame oil and um, safflower oil, olive oil, coconut oil, and palm oil. Absolutely true. What kind, what percentage of the population was getting those? Probably under about 5% of the world had ever had any of those up through the year 1865. And then in beginning in 1866, Americans introduced cottonseed oil into the food supply. This is the first seed oil uh, uh, that was introduced into the food supply. And we can get into the details of this later if you want. But, but anyway, and then soybean oil was introduced in 1909 in the United States. And then there was just a landfall of all the rest of them. So then we got, so we had, so, so we had cottonseed, soybean, then um so there's, you know, soybean, uh, let me just name them, soybean, canola, corn, cottonseed, rapeseed, grapeseed, sunflower, safflower, rice bran, sesame, peanut oils. Those are all the highly polyunsaturated oils, meaning they're high in omega-6 and even omega-3 fats. And so these accumulate, these, the, uh, these fatty acids, the omega-6 and omega-3 accumulate in our body fat and in our cell membranes and in our uh, intracellular membranes, like our mitochondrial membranes, inner mitochondrial membranes. And um, in, in general, I'm getting, now I'm getting to your question, why are these so bad? Well, because the, the polyunsaturated fatty acids are highly prone to oxidation because they have multiple double bonds. Whereas saturated fats have no double bonds and monounsaturated fats have one double bond and they're very resistant to oxidation. And oxidation is like rusting. So when you start filling up your body with vegetable oils because you're consuming these regularly, you become a setup for oxidation. You become a setup for 
rusting essentially inside your body. That's number one. There's four pillars of hazard that vegetable oils, uh, how they drive home their their extreme harm and, and damage to our cellular mechanisms. It's pro, they're pro-oxidative, pro-inflammatory, directly toxic through advanced lipid oxidation in products, and then finally nutrient deficient. And so, you know, we could we could talk a little bit more about, about all of those, but those are that's what happens to your body. Well, you know, in the face of seed oils. Now, if we look at um, sugar in comparison, sugar really has none of those qualities. Yes, it could be pro-oxidative um, in very high doses, but this is usually, you know, that this is, um, you probably only get to those levels when you're consuming like 60% sugar, which is what they're using commonly in these animal studies where they're showing, you know, harm in the liver, for example, and insulin, increasing insulin resistance, but they're using a 60% sugar diet. Well, Americans have the highest sugar consumption in the world of, I mean, of any country in the world, and our sugar consumptions recently, about you know, about 2010, it's about 21% of the food supply. So it's nowhere near this 60%. 21% of the food supply then would would make the average fructose consumption, which is the big, big concern amongst those who are really concerned about sugar, as uh, the fructose component of that, which is 50% of the sugar, 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 the sugar molecule is glucose and fructose. So that would make your fructose consumption around 10.5%, right? It's half of the 21% mm -hmm. on average. Right? So are you saying that these studies on the sugar are just way skewed because they're using just an absurd amount of sugar, like you said, 60% versus the average American consumes about 20%? Right. That's exactly right. If you look at all these, look at all the studies of, of the animals put on high sugar diets, it's it's phenomenal how much sugar they're giving them. So, you know, it doesn't even begin to resemble the um, the doses of sugar consumed in any population worldwide. There's no, no one, no, not even the teenagers that are drinking their monster energy drinks and whatnot, you know. You know, through the day, they're not getting anywhere near sixty percent sugar. They could be thirty plus percent. Uh huh. But now, what they're are not, they're not that high? So, what about the the stats for vegetable oil? I just want to ask: do you do you have an idea of stats of as far as how much vegetable oil are Americans actually consuming? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked. So, because that's the work that I've been, you know, that's what I've been working on for the last decade. Really, is things like this. I, I because I, I I'm a I'm really a data junkie. If you read my latest book, The Ancestral Diet Revolution, there's about 80 graphs um, that we've produced in, in this book to drive this point home. But so, um, so let, let me give you the history. So Americans, in if we go again, again, go back to 1865, we had absolutely zero consumption except for the most trivial amounts of olive oil. So if you looked at olive oil consumption in eight, the early 1860s in the United States. I mean, it's a it's a, a tiny, tiny fraction of a gram per person because only a few people could even get olive oil back in that era. Most of them, you know, would have been people who lived near, you know, olive oil companies in mm -hmm. uh, in California. But well, anyway, uh, you know, 
Well, I'm just, I just wanted to point out olive oil. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but olive oil is, I mean, it goes back to biblical times. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, and seed oils and vegetable oils, I feel like that's relatively new to, to compare to how long we've been on earth here, you know? Yes. And, and you know, olive oil can be really healthy. We should come back to that. Yeah. But it, so in 1865, Americans were consuming essentially zero grams of any kind of oil. They, if you would have used the term vegetable oil in 1865, no one would have known what you're talking about because they, they at that time and before that time, oils like um, cottonseed oil, which did exist, um, it was used as lamp oil and um, and machine oil primarily, and then used as fertilizer. Uh, and then used as cattle feed before they decided, you know, they they were able to, uh, you know, get cattle to consume it and not die. And so then they tried to introduce it in the food supply. And Americans really weren't having it because they knew they're like, well, I'm not going to eat. That's you know, that's not food. That's lamp oil or that's machine oil. We don't eat that. Be like trying to give us petroleum oil today, you know, motor oil and say, well, this is, you know, we're putting this in your food. So what they did, so manufacturers weren't deterred. They they decided to then put it into butter, and that's what became oleomargarine, or which was later shortened to margarine. So they put they mixed butter with with cottonseed oil, and that became margarine. They sold it as margarine. They couldn't give it the name butter, but they they colored it yellow um, to make it look like that. And then and then the manufacturers began to adulterate olive oil with cottonseed oil, again, because they couldn't just sell uh, co cottonseed oil, nobody wanted it. Um, so they adulterated the olive oil with it. And by 1880, the French made complaint that we had sent, I think 550,000 barrels, I believe these are 55 gallon barrels of oil that was under the name of olive oil. And they knew it wasn't olive oil just by the taste. And they stopped all imports from the United States at that year in 1880. Well, this trend has continued to, even to today. We've got huge amounts of adulteration of oils. But anyway, so then in 1909, soybean oil was introduced. And let's get back to the numbers. Okay, so we're at zero grams a day uh, vegetable oil, 1865. That's um, all right. So then let me just give you all the numbers. Then eight, uh, by 1909, we're at nine, nine grams of vegetable oil per person per day. By 1961, we're at 19 grams per person per day. And by 2010, we're 80 grams per person per day average. 80 grams of oil is 720 calories worth. That's 32% of U.S. caloric consumption. Um, now per day. Per day, per person, per, per day. day. And guess what? People are not, they, the huge majority of people are not pouring any oil into their food to get to their 80 grams a day. They're getting it from processed foods, from all kinds of things. They don't think have any oil in it, you know, um, bread, restaurants, crackers, yeah. re, you know, restaurant food, all restaurant food, all fast food, all, all processed foods, everything that's boxed, canned, packaged, all that. If it has an added fat, which almost all of, the huge majority do, it's going to be a vegetable oil. It's not going to be butter, lard, or beef tallow, the animal fats. And so that's how they're getting 80 grams per person per day. And so um, if you look at, we talked earlier about the dangers of the omega-6. So, so omega-6 linoleic acid or LA is the primary 
omega-6 fat in any kind of natural fat. And so that accounts for about 80 to 90%, it's closer to 90% of the total omega-6. And if we look at the omega-6 as a percentage of the diet, in 1865, we modeled the American diet and the, the, the uh, average LA, LA, linoleic acid consumption was 2.4 grams or 1.1% of the diet. That's what it should be. That's an ancestral diet. By 1909, we doubled that. We were at 2.84, I'm sorry, 4.84 grams of uh, linoleic acid. That's 2.4% of the diet approximately. By 1999, we're at 19 grams a day of linoleic acid. That's about seven point something percent of the diet. And by 2008, we're at 29 grams of omega-6 linoleic acid per person per day in the United States. That's 11.8% of the diet. So we went from 1.1% and 2.4 grams of omega-6 linoleic acid in 1865 to 29 grams and 11.8% of the diet as omega-6 linoleic acid in 2008. That's an 11-fold increase in omega-6 LA between 1865 and 2008. That is the recipe for disaster. Everything that, you know, overweight, obesity, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, macular degeneration, autoimmune diseases, all of these run in correlation to this massive, massive increase in omega-6 linoleic acid. And that's coming, that's coming mostly from vegetable oils. I mean, you you mentioned so many different things here that I kind of want to go back to. Um, sure. And so, I mean, you're saying that as the increase of the linoleic acid, also the increase of all these diseases that you just mentioned have gone up simultaneously. And there is that connection uh, between them. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm just fascinated because still you said 80 grams per day of yes. of these oils, uh, and this was back in 2010, you had mentioned. So we are now in 2024. This is 14 years ago. And I mean, who knows what the stats are today in 2024? It, it's just staggering. And I also want to talk about the whole marketing thing, because I remember when vegetable oils was like the good thing, you know, uh, commercials were coming out, they were making margin saying vegetable oil, because everyone thinks a vegetable, that's great for you. Uh, vegetable oils must be so good for you, right? So it's truly marketing. And I feel like everyone is just misle misled with the marketing around vegetable oil, canola oil, as well as the American Heart Association, which I want to touch on a little bit, because a lot of people don't realize that these stamps of approval, endorsements are, are paid and they are uh, skewed. Even the studies. I mean, I was looking at a canola oil study and they were like, it's, it's great for your heart. It's good for this. It's good for that. And then you look at the funding and it's funded by the uh, canola oil council. You know, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, everything that I will tell you about this, you know, about vegetable oils that is negative 
goes uh, uh, squarely against mainstream allopathic medicines advice. Um, so the um, and I, as the, one of the first things I mentioned in most of my presentations is that um, what what I'm telling you, telling the, your audience, uh, um, again, uh, is contrary to the mainstream opinion. But you have to the, everybody needs to understand that um, the Harvard School of Public Health. Mayo Clinic's Nutrition Department, Tufts University Nutrition Department, um, American Heart Association, all of these organizations, they are heavily uh, intertwined and funded with, by big food and big pharma. And these, this is, uh, and I'm not saying there's a conspiracy here at all, but that, but when, you know, big food, and vegetable oil companies are paying um, Harvard to do research, there, there's a major conflict of interest there. And so this is where I, you know, I just believe that the, um, the individuals that are working in, under, in these organizations, they are heavily uh, influenced to produce papers and evidence that is in favor of the vegetable oils. Well, so let me just get, what can they possibly say that's good about these vegetable oils? And as far as I can tell, and I've been researching this for 12 years, there's one, it all comes down to just one single thing that, that they can say is quote good. I'll use single quotes here. Um, and that is that they, that these vegetable oils lower our total cholesterol. And indeed they do. And as I say in my presentations, guess what? So does arsenic. And it's very, very true. I say, you know, half in jest, half in truth, because, because arsenic, um, you know, exacts its toll on our bodies through oxidation. And as I said, this is the main um, harm that is produced through vegetable oils. It's oxidation. It's not inflammation. Inflammation's part of it. But oxidation is extraordinarily damaging to the body. And I would say oxidation is at least, you know, it's probably tenfold more important than inflammation and probably a lot more than that. Uh, and again, once again, that's because, you know, you're, you're filling up your body with these polyunsaturated fats, which are subject to oxidation because of those, the double bonds. Right. And the extraction process, which you mentioned um, at the very beginning to my original question was why our seed oil is bad, but seeds are good. Because I feel like, again, a lot of people are confused, like, oh, should I not eat sunflower seeds or sun, you know, all these things where no, it's in its natural state, correct? For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yes and no here. Um, there are caveats. And I think that um, back in 2020, Bethany, I introduced the idea at, um, at a, in a presentation, Low Carb Denver, um, that it's very interesting that if you look at all of the diets of ancestrally living populations, like the, I'll just give some examples, like the Maasai tribe of Kenya and Tanzania, um, Pacific Islanders like the Tokelauans or the Catavans, or the Papua New Guineans of Tukacenta or the Ashe of Paraguay. If you look at these 
um, populations, all of them have omega-6 linoleic acid in their diets that's under 2% of their calories. Remember I mentioned in two, by 2008, Americans were at 11.8% of their diet as omega-6 linoleic acid. So, but, but, you know, natural diets don't have high amounts of nuts and seeds. They never did and never do. The only one that ever has that I can tell is um, the Ikung, uh, I believe it's pronounced, of, of Africa. And they're consuming mostly mongongo nuts. But they're literally, this is, a, this is not a healthy ancestrally living population. I would say they're not a successful ancestrally living population because they're living in starvation practically. And a lot of their children have kwashiorkor core because they're not getting enough protein. They get almost no food. And they're, so they're living off, they are using the mongongo nut as a substantial part of their food. But, but nuts and seeds are high in omega-6 linoleic acid. And I think they're absolutely fine to consume in moderation, but in all of history and in all of ancestrally living populations, they didn't have huge amounts of nuts and seeds. You just couldn't go get, you know, packages and boxes and cans full of cashew nuts and right. Brazil nuts and all that. That's not possible. Look, think about it. Like there's no population that could ever have done that before, you know, this mass production that we've had in the, you know, particularly in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years. I have been a long consumer of colostrum for years and have known the benefits it holds for our health. It's been clinically shown to help guard against inflammation and everyday toxins and pollutants. Colostrum intake has also been linked to fewer respiratory tract and GI infections in children and adults. In fact, there are over 5,000 published studies documenting the benefits of colostrum and its ability to optimize health from when we are born all the way through to our elder years. It's even been proven to be three times more effective than the flu vaccine. Armor colostrum is different from others on the market, and it's something I started taking back in March 2023, long before all the hype. They use a proprietary cold chain biopotent technology that distills over 200 functional nutrients, guaranteeing the highest bioactive integrity and bioavailability. Another thing I personally love about this company is that they only extract and use the surplus colostrum from grass-fed, pasture-raised happy cows that are no longer needing it to supply their young. So you know you're not taking away from animals that need it. Only the surplus colostrum is used. And Armora makes sure they are getting only the best from healthy USA cows from family farms. Armora has three flavors, orange, watermelon, and unflavored, which is my personal favorite because the unflavored has no natural flavors and just one single ingredient. And Armora is the only colostrum on the market that's casein-free, which is the protein most people with a dairy allergy react to. And for those that do not have a true allergy, but rather have a dairy intolerance, the culprit is usually not the dairy itself, but rather the way that it's processed. All commercial dairy utilizes high heat and aggressive processing for pasteurization and sterilization. Unfortunately, this changes the structural shape of the proteins and destroys the omega fat molecules rendering them unrecognizable to the body as a food. 
This is what triggers the immune system inappropriately leading to intolerance symptoms like digestive complaints, rashes, and inflammation. However, Armra's innovative cold chain biopotent technology distills colostrum's over 200 functional nutrients without the use of high temperatures, guaranteeing the highest bioactive integrity and bioavailability. As a result, Arma is actually anti-inflammatory and often well-tolerated by consumers who typically would have dairy intolerance otherwise. The cool thing is that if you purchase the stick packs specifically and are not 100% satisfied, you can return the product within 30 days of purchase and receive a refund. So if you haven't tried Armor Colostrum but have always wondered, now's your chance without any risk if you get the stick packs. Or perhaps you already are a user and lover like myself and prefer their canisters, you can still get a discount when using my code. Just go to tryarmra.com and use code digest to receive a special discount for my podcast listeners. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com and use code digest on either their stick packs or canisters to receive a discount. Again, that's tryarmra.com and use code digest. You guys have probably heard of Beekeepers Naturals. They are everywhere with their superfood honey, brain fuel, bee pollen, and propolis sprays. I have personally been taking their brain fuel and propolis immune throat spray for over a year. So when they wanted to become a sponsor of this podcast, I was quite honored and this couldn't have been a better match. And If you don't know about Beekeepers Naturals, let me quickly tell you that their propolis throat spray is literally something I use every single day and often multiple times a day. My husband and I both spray it at night and whenever we have a dry throat or tickle in our mouth. Now, I'm not sure if you knew, but honey isn't the only thing that bees make. They also produce a compound called propolis, which is literally a superfood. It has a special compound that acts as an antifungal, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial. One study found that when topical propolis was applied three times a day, it helped to heal cold sores and the researchers found the propolis cream not only reduced the amount of herpes virus present in a person's body, but also protected the body against future breakouts. Another 2021 review found that propolis may also help treat mouth and throat infections as well as dental cavities. And these are just a few reasons why Beekeepers Naturals uses this natural aid in so many of their products and also includes it in their raw honey for a full spectrum superfood sweetener. The founder, Carly, actually created her products after experiencing reoccurring tonsillitis that worsened because her body couldn't tolerate antibiotics. Everything changed when she came down with a severe case while studying abroad in Italy. Desperate to avoid flying home for surgery, she wandered into an Italian pharmacy and found this stuff called propolis. After barely a week of taking the bee product, her tonsils had almost returned to normal. 
It was the first time in her life that something had worked for her condition. And that is what sparked her journey to create Beekeepers Naturals and all their superfood honey and propolis-based products. I highly suggest checking out their propolis spray for immune support, especially during these colder months, as well as all their other immune support products to naturally help your body fight off infections and keep them at bay. And you guys know I've got an amazing deal for all my listeners. If you just go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash digest, you'll get a great, amazing discount. So again, go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash digest, and you will get an amazing discount for only my listeners. I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, I think about this too, like a nut, if you were like living, there was no bags of nuts you could buy, you had to get them from a tree, right? Let's just say like a Brazil nut or walnut. If you wanted to eat one, you had to take it, you had to crack open the shell, which is very hard to do. So, I mean, if you want to do like two or three, that's two or three nuts, because it would take a while to crack open a nut, especially a Brazil nut, if you've ever tried. So it would take a while. So, and that's... I mean, if I, that were me, I'd be like, okay, after nut three, I'd be like, okay, I'm done <laughs> cracking these things, right? So right. yeah, a lot of people weren't just eating handfuls back then. Um, now, I do have a question. Well, um, and then, let me, let oh, me interject one, one more thing here, Bethany. And also, um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, nuts, most, most of the time, those would be consumed seasonally like fruit. Right there's isn't there a season for most of the nuts? Um, maybe not everywhere, but uh, most places there's they you know they have a crop that produces a large amount of the nuts at certain times of the year. I think. Yeah, I, I do think so. I also think that nuts, if stored properly, let's just say like even in their shell, they could store for a long time. So I'd have to think because maybe they have a harvest time, but then they can keep for an, you know, a long, all year long, because if they're not opened within the shell back then, they could keep them for a long time. So that's actually a really good question. Yeah. The nuts though, even, even if you do consume nuts and seeds in their natural state, um, you, you know, you're, you're at least five times better off than consuming equal amounts of omega-6 in seed oils, because the seed oils are already oxidized. And because they're oxidized, that means that there will be advanced uh, linoleic acid metabolites, the ALs in these. These are things like 4-hydroxynonanol, malondialdehyde, carboxyethylpyrrole, 9 and 13 hode, acrolein, and there's hundreds more, Bethany. And these are that these lipid scientists know about. So when you so when you ox when you allow these oils to oxidize, you produce all of these. Uh, downstream chemical products that are toxins. It's like smoking. So when, you know, there's the the components in cigarette smoke are, you know, number, I think over 6,000, right? But there's not very, you know, when you, that just starts off with tobacco leaf, but when you burn something, you oxidize it. That's what happens to the tobacco when you burn it is it oxidizes. And it's the same thing that happens to these vegetable oils, but you end up with hundreds of different downstream lipid oxidation end products. And who knows what all how damaging all these are, but we do know that just from the list I gave you 
of those chemicals that they are collectively cytotoxic, genotoxic, mutagenic, carcinogenic, atherogenic, thrombogenic, obesogenic, and diabetogenic, right? These alone can account for extraordinary uh, increases in your risk of developing a uh, 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 chronic disease, you know, like coronary heart disease, stroke, cancers, diabetes, metabolic disease, Alzheimer's, macular degeneration, and so on. Yeah, that's just insane. Um, now, I have a question about a few different uh, seed oils in particularly, because some uh, have been shown to actually be beneficial. Um, one in particular is black, black seed oil, black cumin seed oil. Um, now, black cumin seed oil has been shown to be antifungal, antiviral, and antibacterial, um, obviously taking like one to two teaspoons a day. Um, now, I, I'm just curious, being devil's advocate here, just curious your thoughts on black seed oil as well as flaxseed oil, um, which is uh, apparently, I guess it's high in omega-3s, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it's also been shown to prevent cancer cell growth in animals um, and also reduce breast cancer growth. It's also been shown in studies to significantly reduce levels of C-reactive protein in obese people. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on the flaxseed oil and black cumin seed oil. Okay, yeah. Well, we get these questions about these really, you know, odd kind of esoteric oils um, that that you know don't even really exist in the in the in you know in any populations. Um, so all I can tell you is is I if I'm, I know I've looked it up before, but, but I don't remember what the omega six linoleic acid is. But I would look that up, and I think it's probably I think all of the seed oils are above twenty percent omega six linoleic acid, probably black seed, what'd you say, black cumin seed oil is, um, it's probably 30% plus is if, if I recall correctly, but I, I, don't, I don't know for sure. But it just, if you want to contrast that, here's the thing is all, you know, natural diets, which do not con contain any seed oils, they do contain vegetable oils. We'll come back to that, like, you know, like coconut oil or palm oil, palm kernel oil, for example. Um, or olive oil, but anyway, but it, but not seed oils. Um, the seed oils are produced in factories, and um, we can go through that too. But but the so the seed oils again range in omega six linoleic acid from about twenty percent in in canola oil all the way up to about seventy eight percent in safflower oil, right? Soybean oil is fifty six about fifty six percent omega six linoleic acid. So in the United States, the primary, the two primary uh, oils used, you know, nationwide um, is soybean oil and canola oil. This is what all restaurants, almost all restaurants are cooking in, all fast food restaurants, pretty much most of them are cooking in those two, one of those two oils. Um, so, but if you contrast the omega-6 linoleic acid ranging again from 20 to 78% in these vegetable, in, in the seed oils, um, to natural animal fats, the, you know, you know, beef fat from grass-fed beef is about 2% omega-6 linoleic acid. Pork, um, on ancestrally raised pork, critically to critical difference here, but it means they're not corn and soy fed. What is their body fat, LA? 2%. What are chickens? 2.5%. What are chicken eggs? Um, around 2.5%, 3%, something like that. 
all of the natural animal fats, so butter, one and a half to two and a half percent, all of the natural animal fats, lard, butter, beef tallow, from animals raised traditionally, that means they're not corn and soy fed, they're all in the like one and a half to two, two and a half, maybe three percent omega-6 linoleic acid. They're not 20 to 78 percent. So if you're consuming anything, including, you know, boatloads of nuts, nut oils and things like that, you're going to be raising your omega-6 linoleic acid in your body. And that omega-6 linoleic acid is subject to oxidation. It will produce these advanced lipid oxidation end products. So I would not recommend black currant seed oil. I can guarantee you, I would not recommend that. Um, um, and, you know, and if we say, well, what are the, what healthy oils are they? Number one, I would say, don't cook in any oil unless you have to. If you need to really use an oil because you need a lot of it or something like that, I would say coconut oil is extremely safe, but I wouldn't use it exclusively. Um, but coconut oil is 2% omega-6 LA. And um, so it has an extremely good record of health in all the Pacific Islanders. Naturally, uh, traditionally, they, they're, they're, fat came mostly from coconut. So that's coconut oil, but they did actually didn't produce the oil. They, they consume it as coconut milk, right? And then there's palm kernel oil is also 2% omega-6 LA. So it's also very healthy. Olive oil, for example, is about 10% omega-6 LA on average, but it ranges from about 3% to 23% LA, I believe, or maybe it's 27% LA. All right. So you don't know if you're if you're getting one that's 4% LA or 25% LA. And the worst problem with so-called olive oil is exactly what was happening in the 19th century is most of it today is adulterated. So the North American Olive Oil Association, I believe it's the organization that vetted um they 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 looked at the analyses of um a huge number of all of so-called extra virgin olive oils in the United States. And they they found that 79% of them did not meet their criteria for good quality extra virgin olive oil. That means they were either adulterated or they're um, not of good vintage. They're already too old and properly packaged, exposed to light, to heat, to air, all these kind of things that result in a poor quality oil. Yeah. So, well so you, you know, you can get... you. You can fix you can fix all of this in one fell swoop by just cooking everything in um, natural butter and avoiding the oils completely. Okay. All right. Yeah, I want to go back to a few things here, but that's a, a great tip just regarding the the olive oil. And um, I have I think a podcast long ago about olive oil because I I love olive oil. I cook with it, but I do get it direct from a special company. So I, I rarely ever buy the olive oil in the stores because like you said, it's been exposed to light. It's probably been sitting on the shelf for who knows how long. So for me, I get it direct because it's the freshest. Um, it's not exposed to light, etc. cetera. Um, but then just going back to the whole like black seed oil and flax seed, I also just want to point out like I take black seed oil on occasion for sure for... Um, and you can hate me for that or not, but oh, no. I, I do. And, but it, again, it's cold press, unheated. I don't 
I'm not cooking with black seed oil. I'm not cooking with flaxseed oil and things like that. I think maybe there could be a time and place medicinally to take these cold pressed uh, unheated. So I just wanted to um, to say that, but I also do have a question about uh, sunflower seed oil. Um, and if there is a difference between um, oleic sunflower seed oil and the um, the the just the regular um, non-oleic sunflower, because from my own research and what I've heard is um, sunflower seed oil, as long as it's um, high oleic sunflower oil, it has at least 80% oleic acid and traditional sunflower oil has only about 20%. And the, the high oleic sunflower seed oil is less oxidized. Um, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and as long as the high oleic sunflower oil is not heated above 350 degrees, it's, um, you know, considered actually a great source of vitamin E. So curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, you know, my question is, is, you know, to, to all of that is, is why would anybody want to consume that when you could just use butter? I mean, what, in other words, it's like, okay, you might as well, it's it, the analogy would be that it's, to me, it's a lot like saying, I just really need to smoke. And so I'm going to just, these, you know, the, this, this cigarette has a really good, uh, it's really lower in tar and nicotine and it's got a really good filter. So I, I'm going to smoke these cigarettes. And that's exactly what I think, you know, any we were doing with the, the, the seed oil organizations, they, they knew, they know that, that the high omega-6 linoleic acid is a problem. That's why they, that's why they produced high oleic sunflower and safflower oil which are, just as you said, much higher in, in oleic acid, but they're still very high in linoleic acid as compared to natural animal fats, for example, lard, butter, and beef tallow raised naturally. So, I, you know, that I don't see any reason. You don't need the omega-3 in those oils that uh, for any reason, um, you know, I would argue that if you look at all of the ancestrally living populations, we could start. We could start with you know Americans, with Japanese, with Catavans, Tokelauans, Papua New Guineans, on and on. None of these populations ever had an oil, and they didn't. They have no coronary heart disease, virtually no, virtually no stroke, no cancers. I mean or multiple of these populations have been proven not to have cancer. They have no diabetes, none, no obesity, none. On and on, what? They have no macrity, like the Papua New Guineans that took a center that live almost exclusively on sweet potatoes, more than 90% of their diet coming from sweet potatoes. They don't have diabetes and they had no obesity and no macrity generation. So, um, but they don't have any, all of these populations are minus three things, added sugars, refined flours, and vegetable oils. And so that makes their omega-6 linoleic acid extremely low, which means that their body fat, omega-6 LA, is extremely low. It's It averaged, there was four studies done on ancestrally living populations where they analyzed the body fat for fatty acid analysis to determine what that level was. And that was this was done by Ian Pryor and colleagues um, back in 1969 in the South Pacific. And these four populations, they averaged 
2.85% omega-6 linoleic acid in their body fat. There's never been any other populations that were completely ancestral where this has been done. Since 1990, there's been dozens of studies of body fat, adipose, fatty acid analysis. Um, uh, and on average, this is all Western countries or Westernized countries. And on average, their body fat LA was 14.2%. So again, 2.85% in ancestral living, living populations that don't have any of these diseases and don't have obesity and diabetes and 14.2% in the westernized populations that are flooded with seed oils and where obesity and diabetes, metabolic syndrome and Alzheimer's and macular degeneration and autoimmune diseases are going through the roof. So why, I just don't see that, it makes no sense to me to you know argue that we should be getting any of these kinds of oils for any reason. You know, why would, um, so 90, probably 90, 90 plus percent of Americans did not regularly consume fish, for example, in the United States in the mid 19th century, right? They could they didn't have access to it. There was no refrigeration. You couldn't transport fish. The only people that could get fish lived on the coast or they lived near a river or a lake where they could get some fish. The huge majority of people did not have access to fish or seafood, except they did have, there was a fair, a lot of uh, um, oyster consumption around the U.S. Um, but yeah, so they had no oils, right? They had almost no fish. They had, they obviously didn't have flaxseed oil or any kind of other oils. And yet they had no coronary heart disease, none, absolutely not. No, no physician had ever, you know, diagnosed a heart attack in the 19th century in the United States, not one. First heart attack diagnosed in 1912 in the United States by James Herrick, documented with autopsy evidence. There was no cases of Alzheimer's. There were no cases of age-related macular degeneration. Autoimmune diseases were rare. Cancer took the lives of one in 188 people in 1811. Cancer took the lives of one in 17 people in the U.S. in 1900. Cancer now takes the lives of almost one in three people, or at least one in four in the United States. Why? Okay, so again, it goes back to, you know, we didn't need, we didn't need any supplements in the 19th century. We didn't need any fish. We didn't need any flaxseed oil or black currant oil or anything else. People ate what was in the food supply. Well, what was in the food supply? Beef, pork, very small amounts of chicken because they didn't. They usually kept their chickens to eat the eggs, right? They ate eggs. They ate grains. Was huge. Thirty-seven percent of the diet in 1909, proven by uh, you know this is published uh, Tanya Blasbog's research at the NIH. 1909, thirty-seven percent of the diet was grains. You know, that was mostly wheat and then um, oats, rice, corn, all that. Um, you know, so not... they, they consumed lots of potatoes, lot, you know, and fruits and vegetables were not enormous because, again, because of lack of refrigeration. True. So, um, but anyway, but anyway, the, the point is, is that they, they didn't have any oils and they didn't have any of these diseases. And obesity was 1.1% in the 19th century in the U.S. That's, yeah, that's insane. I mean, and let's not just forget too that, I mean, today, processed foods, that's like 80% of the American diet, really. And so the processed foods, the spraying of glyphosate is just through the roof. People are, uh, the technology, people are uh, less active because of technology these days. So there's, I mean, there's so many different factors um, that are also just 
being thrown into the stewing pot and it's just ridiculous. Um, now, Dr. Kenobi, I want to know, what's your favorite fat to cook with? Like, let's just say you're making eggs. Yeah. What What are you going to choose to, yeah. like, what fat? Well, yeah. For, well, first, you can't call me doctor. <laughs> well, I Don't mean- Don't let anybody call, call me Dr. Bethany. Uh, so- it's okay. just Chris. Nobody, okay, nobody Chris. Calls me dark. I don't We're informal that. here. We're informal here. All right, Chris. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, we cook everything in butter. Everything. You know, if we need an oil, it's butter. Um, I, I, you know, I make if I make salad, um, then my dressing is made with butter. Um, really? Yeah. Ooh. Just, mel just melted butter with, um, and then I'll use. Now uh, we're talking. Brew, brewer, brewer's yeast on top of it. Um, uh, you know, because of this really rich in B vitamins. Um, so again, I never, I don't have an oil that I hear for, you know, for cooking purposes ever. I use olive oil for, um, like lotion. I use that on my, you know, for dry skin. Okay. But, but you don't, don't need olive oil. No, I don't need olive oil because I don't trust most if, and back to, you know, you, you know, you mentioned you've got, you have a trusted source where you can get fresh, authentic, mm -hmm. you know, it's authentic olive oil. I support that 100%. I think it's absolutely fine. But but what, one thing that people need to remember that when I mentioned of the four pillars of hazard, one of the biggest problems is lack of vitamins A, D, and K2 in the diet. And not any kind of oil, even the good ones, coconut, palm kernel, and olive oil, they do not contain vitamins A, D, or K2. Butter contains A, D, and K2. So you'll get your fat soluble vitamins just from butter. So what I consume about, per, personally, I consume one quarter pound of butter per day. I wow. know it because you know I I have tracked it over and over, and that's my consumption. So that's uh, that's one stick of butter per day. It's it's typically the the same because I I use it for any time I need. You know, I want cooking oil, or I put I put that oil on top of my I, or not oil. Uh, I'm I'm saying like butter oil because I melt it and then put the, you know, put the butter on top of fish, for example, when I, when I make fish. Okay. What about ghee? I love ghee. Yeah. Ghee's the same. Okay. So the only reason I think, you know, people might, might need to consider ghee is it because ghee is clarified butter, which means that the, that the, all the proteins have been removed. So people that have um, uh, an allergic reaction. Like lactose intolerance. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they have an extreme lactose intolerance and then they can't tolerate butter on that, you know, you would think butter would have an extremely small mm -hmm. amount of lactose, but, but nevertheless, the if they tolerate, if they tolerate, uh, uh, ghee or clarified butter, same thing, then absolutely. It's got the same, uh, benefits as butter. What about those that are lactose intolerant or can't have dairy? What would you recommend? Like tallow? Um, so first of all, the, you know, this gets interesting because um, I was, you know, quote, lactose intolerant my pretty much my whole adult life. Um, so I didn't consume any dairy until a few years ago. And I started learning that if you can get raw dairy, that um, the huge majority of people can tolerate raw dairy. And so I got a few years ago, I got a sample. I got a quart 
from a local um, farm, you know, of raw dairy. And I tried a little bit of it and I was fine. I tried more and I was fine. And pretty soon I was drinking a gallon and a half per week. Um, I don't do that now, but I consume raw dairy all the time. So I, I, I use some raw dairy milk, cream, um, butter, um, you know, I also get yogurt, kefir, all this coming from raw dairy as much as I can get it. Um, so people need to consider, you know, if they ha might have to buy into a cow share, which is a really tiny investment. Um, but but most people can tolerate, you know, can tolerate uh, dairy if it's raw because the 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 so-called probiotics or the bacteria that help you break down the lactose, they're already in the milk. Yeah, and, and so I I think people should consider that, but if they can't, if they can't tolerate that at all, then, you know, maybe there's other, you know, you need to, you need to be really, really uh, careful about getting your fat soluble vitamins and the, you know, that's a, the, the ones that are so critical that people are missing are A, D and K2. And you can get those from butter, from eggs, from milk, from some other sources of dairy will help like, you know, raw hard cheeses will be a really good source of vitamin K2. Um, like and, then you, and then liver. Yeah, like and I beef. was just gonna say and like beef, beef like yeah, red beef. meat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So beef would be a great source. All all, all beef, um, it, the, in fact, next to, um, next to butter and eggs, beef would be the next best source of, um, vitamins A and K2. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, going back to the whole dairy thing, I think that's a huge thing. That's, I mean, why people are dairy intolerant is because the dairy has been so altered and raw dairy hasn't been altered. Right. And so people are having these reactions because it doesn't have everything that your body was meant to, to consume at once and break down, you know, the lactose or and everything in, in its natural state. So just kind of going back to basics here. Um, now I, I did, I'm curious because I personally don't use a lot of avocado oil, but I know a lot of people do. So I'm curious about your take on, on that. Yeah, I think avocado oil is a, a a lot like olive oil, it's a fruit oil. It would be um, it would be healthy and probably fine to use, except that it's now mostly being adulterated, just like olive oil. So, all you know, good natural, uh, you know, well uh, prepared olive oil and avocado oil. They're expensive to produce, and so anytime there's an expensive oil you've got the shysters that are that are willing to they don't care about your health all they care about is you know to them food is a commodity it just it's just to make money they're not at all interested in the health of their consumers a lot of them um and so um so avocado oil is also being heavily adulterated with cheap oils like canola oil and soybean oil so and but uh, but avocado oil is fourteen percent omega six linoleic acid and uh, approximately, and so it's again way higher than butter at one and a half to two and a half percent LA. Okay, now I want to ask you about canola oil specifically, and for those that don't know, rapeseed oil and canola oil, same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now. 
I, well, I saw this. Oh, well, not exactly the same thing because the canola oil it comes from rapeseed, but the canola um, it's came from comes from Canada um, almost exclusively, and the canola oil was bred to get rid of the erucic acid. E-R-U-C-I-C, erucic acid. The erucic acid is, um, it, it was known to produce heart lesions uh, and cause heart defect, you know, uh, um, electrical conduction defect issues uh, in animals, I believe that it is. But but anyway, so that the canola is a low erucic acid version of rapeseed. Oh, so interesting. See? Yeah. I, I, it, I didn't it, know it that. Was, it, it was so toxic that it would kill animals, right? The roots, uh, I mean, the rapeseed oil. So just think about it. A canola oil is just a modified version of that to produce a lower erucic acid. Okay, because I I just um, thought that, you know, companies, if you look on a label, they started renaming rapeseed oil as canola oil, and then they went back from canola oil to rapeseed oil because canola had a bad wrap, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm curious now to what companies are actually using um, if it's rapeseed or canola because maybe companies don't even know because they think that they can just interchange that name. But that's another topic for another time. Yeah, um, yeah. But I did want to ask, because I saw this thing, um, this documentary on how canola oil is actually made and extracted, and I was horrified. And can you just tell us, I mean, there's like degumming, and it would just look like slime. Yeah, people should watch that video, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think um, for those listening, um, if you go to um, YouTube and you look and you just search on canola oil, how it's made, I believe it's what it's called. Um, I haven't watched that for years, yeah. but I just it's kind of stuck in my memory. And they will they will see all the processing that oils go through. So oils are made in these massive factories. First of all, they look many of them look almost identical to petroleum refineries. And I show these in my presentations at the, you know, often at the beginning, Bethany, I show the, 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 an image of these, um, these massive um, uh, um, uh, vegetable oil refineries. And so here's this, basically here's the steps. And there's, it, this is a very, very complicated process, but the, they take the seeds, they're crushed, heated, pressed, and then chemically alkalinized, chemically bleached, chemically deodorized, they're heated four to five times typically as they go through this process with the final heating being in the deodorization process and reaches temperatures of 400 to 550 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, all of these heatings, you think about it, the thing that we're trying to avoid with anything that has high PUFA, that's high polyunsaturated fatty acids, omega-6 and omega-3, is we're trying to avoid heat because the heat produces oxidation of the linoleic acid, right? That's what you're trying to avoid. And yet they're heating those in that final step. These oils would stink and taste disgusting. People would not consume them at all if it were for that final step of deodorization. And in that deodorization step where they high heat them with steam, um, then they can extract some of those, um, those chemicals that give it the odor and therefore produce this. Then finally, 
you know, you end up with this light yellow oil that looks, you know, it looks nice and clear and they try to sell it to you as, as a, as a healthy quote, vegetable oil, which didn't come from vegetables, of course. And I'll just say, these are chronic metabolic biological poisons. I've been saying this since 2019. These are chronic metabolic biological poisons. These will poison you and you will end up, if you consume enough of these, you'll end up with one of these diseases. This will end, you know, almost for sure. This will, you know, potentially bring an early, you know, you're, you know, bring on one of these diseases and, and maybe result in your early demise. Mm. And it's so simple to avoid them. Wow. And do you think that vegetable <clears throat> oil, seed oils are political? Do you think there's any kind of agenda behind them? Um, well, yes. Um, I don't know that there's, and I'm not a political type of person. Um, more, I mean, you know, a just to say scientist, like, really, but, like but big say, pharma, you know, do you think that they're wanting you to actually consume these to get sick so that you have to rely on medications to, to, to aid your illness that you got from consuming these oils? Well, I don't, I would, I can't. I wouldn't say that they want you to consume them necessarily. I mean, obviously, none of them behind closed doors are probably even there, probably saying such things. But let's just put it this way. Um, and, and I'm part of big medicine. I mean, I'm a physician. I'm a medical doctor. And I was, you know, I was you know, born into this, you know, these institutions really and trained in these institutions. But, but let me just say that even... You know, so big food, big pharma, and big medicine, none of them have any financial interest in keeping you and me healthy. None. The sicker we are, the more these diseases we have, the better they all do. The better the physicians do, the better the big pharma does, and the better big food does if they can keep us eating these foods, you know? So big food just wants to addict you and sell you. You know, Sally Fallon from the Weston A. Price Foundation said many years ago, she said, and I didn't understand this, this is probably 10 years ago. I remember her using the term commodity agriculture. And I was like, what, did, what does she mean by that? She said, you know, these, this, this industry is just commodity agriculture. What she took me, I'm slow, so it took me years to understand this. And gradually I began to understand that what she meant was that the fact that, um, you know, many farmers and ranchers and all that, they're, they're, even them, you know, they're producing their food as a commodity. They're not interested in your health. And, you know, it gets much worse at the big food level, you know, once this, these foods end up in factories, because um, they're not at all interested in your health, right? They just want to sell you a product. They couldn't care less what it does to you, um, as long as it doesn't kill you acutely. And so, um, so there, again, so, you know, this is why I just see there. there is so little interest from big medicine to bring an end to all of this suffering and chronic disease. And I think, you know, if big medicine was tied to nutrition, which it was for all of history from the time of Hippocrates until about 1948, the two were tightly intermingled. And then in 1948, um, big medicine split off from nutrition and they went their separate way. They, they divorced nutrition. And so then physicians were taught how to diagnose and treat. And how do we diagnose? Well, we're really good at that. And how do, you know, how do we treat? We treat with medicine, 
you know, procedures, surgery. And that's what I was trained in. That's what we do. That's what I was trained to do. For every disease, there's a bunch of medicines, you know, for every most, you know, for surgical conditions, you know, you got, you know, you, you've got a procedure, you've got a surgery, you know, that, and the more, you know, the more of these things, the more disease people have this, I tell you that if you move to a place where people are old and sick, this is where physicians and hospitals, you know, and, and cancer centers do their very best. That's where they're, they're huge, right? Is yeah. when the, those conditions exist. I mean, it's the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest, if not the biggest industry uh, in the world. And it's just a huge moneymaker. Um, and so I know we're getting short on time here, but I do have, I have a list of vegetable oils. I'm going to read them off. And I wanted, I want you to tell me which ones are the top three biggest offenders. Okay. Okay. So I have grape seed oil, canola oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, and sunflower seed oil. Yeah, so I would say it's, uh, I don't know if all three of these were in there, but it'd be, you know, soybean, sunflower, and safflower. Oh, was, really? So canola is not the top three? Well, no, I don't think so because it's much lower in omega-6 linoleic acid. And, and corn oil would but, be... But, there, but there is still this, you know, a little bit of this erucic acid in, the, in there in the canola oil. So... I, I wouldn't say it's at all healthy, but but the high omega, the higher the omega six, in general, the more dangerous that it is. So interesting. So the top you said um, soybean. Did you yeah, say so cottonseed? Yeah. So safflower is the highest. Safflower and sunflower are the highest. They're they're in the you know high seventy. I think safflower is around seventy eight percent, and sunflower is seventy five percent or something like that. And soybeans about fifty six percent, but I put I, the reason I put soybean in there is because people need to be on the lookout because it's the most ubiquitous in the world. That oh, there's only one vegetable oil in the world that is sold more, and that's palm oil. But we don't have a lot of palm oil in in Western world. It's mostly in uh, Asia and in the Pacific um, because it's produced in Malaysia and Indonesia, and so. But it, that's primarily so. But it's uh, but palm oil is um, is way down there in terms of the omega six linoleic acid. It's ten percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, soybean oil too. Soy in general is high. I mean, GMO uh, city, you know. Yeah. And so there's other factors that go into the the soybean oil opposed from just go. the oil. So there's all that um, glyphosate and all. You know, we can. Oh don't yeah. even, We don't even need to go into that. But the soy industry is just ridiculous. Um, but you know, anyways, I'll digress there. But um, where can people find you on social media? And I mean, I know you have your book, so go ahead, tell people where they can get your book as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my um, my colleague um, Suzanne Alexander runs our social media. So we've got we've got Facebook pages for our um, for our nonprofit foundations. These are Ancestral Health Foundation and Cure AMD Foundation. AMD is for Age Related Macular Degeneration. Those are the two nonprofit organizations that we work for. Um, no one is compensated in our organizations. Um, uh, we're just, we're 
volunteers because we believe in this mission. Um, the there's also you know Twitter, which is now X, uh, account for that, and and Instagram for both of those. So those are all available. The book that we would love for your listeners to consider, it's called The Ancestral Diet Revolution. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold online. We'd love for people to to get that, read that, and leave us reviews on Amazon would be great. Um, Once again, we do not accept royalties for this book. The royalties are going to the foundation. The foundations support our operations and support research. Mm. Um, Love that. That's that's basically uh, that's uh, that's basically it, I guess. In terms, of, we have, well, we have a website, Cure AMD Foundation. That's at cureamd.org. Um, the Ancestral Health Foundation website is still coming. That's our newer organization, so we don't have quite have a website for that yet. Okay. Well, I know we'll um, be sure to put some links in today's show notes so people can easily find you as well. Thank you again, Chris, for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Bethany. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first.